The sermon text for today is found in John, so just that next book, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. John chapter 20, and in this chapter, uh, this chapter is told of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On that day, the third day after his death, the first day of the week, uh, Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb. Did she find Jesus there? No, at least not in the tomb, right? The tomb was empty, and she brought back word to the disciples, and Peter and John raced. You remember which one got there first? John got there first, but Peter was the first to look inside. Uh, but they each, each time, they saw something a little bit more. Mary saw that the tomb was empty. Peter saw that the linen cloths were laid aside. John saw that the face cloths were also laid aside. Each step of the way, more indication that Jesus wasn't just moved, but that he had risen from the dead. John went in after Peter and believed. But Mary continued to be there weeping. She was sorrowful still. She still wasn't sure what exactly had happened. And then she saw two angels. And then turning around, she saw a man. She thought it was the gardener, but it turns out, It was Jesus. When he said, Mary, she recognized him, that this was Jesus himself. She saw the Lord, and he had a message for her, that he was ascending to to his father, and that uh, he was ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. He wanted Mary to tell this to his brothers. Do you know who his brothers were? He wasn't just talking about his literal brothers, uh, you know, family members of Mary and Joseph's family. He was talking about the disciples, because who does Mary go to? Mary goes to the gathered disciples, and she tells them what Jesus had said, and says that I've seen the Lord. All right, and so that's where we're going to pick up today in chapter 20. Um, Rather a shorter passage maybe than normal, but chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for giving us the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that you would be with us this evening to call our minds to these things, that we might be filled with that same joy and gladness that filled those disciples on that evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, it describes how Jesus came to his disciples and showed himself to them on the evening of the day that he rose from the dead. He showed himself to them, and he commissioned them. 
Uh, think of this passage with three S's. Think of first of the setting, and then think of the site, and then the sending. Think of first the setting. What's the setting of this occasion? What is the site? What did they see? And then what is the sending? What did, how were they sent by the risen Lord? The main point here is to rejoice, for the Lord is risen, and he has commissioned and empowered his church with his gospel and spirit. So what is the setting? The setting was that this was the evening of that day. That's all that John had to say, is that this was the evening of that day. But is that all that, Jesus, that John says about the day? No, he also adds, again, that it was the first day of the week. He already told us it was the first day of the week at the beginning of the chapter, And now as he's saying it was the evening of that same day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he repeats the fact that it was indeed the first day of the week. Now John is making a point about the significance of this day, especially because in the next passage he'll talk about how it was the next first day of the week when uh, Jesus came to the gathered disciples again uh, in his way of counting days eight days later. And so it was on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Uh, Why mention that? Because this would be the new Sabbath. This would be the Lord's day. This would be the day that in John's own day, as he was writing this gospel, they were gathering on the first day of the week. And they could see themselves like these disciples, meeting with Jesus and worshiping him in the Spirit. How fitting is it to reflect on this passage on a Sunday evening. Uh, We also are gathered on the first day of the week in the evening as we look at this passage. So this was the first day of the week and it is to be observed as the Lord's Day. This is what I preached on this morning uh, was the fourth commandment to keep it holy, to not work on it, that the day before Jesus rose from the dead was the last day that the Sabbath was rightly celebrated on the seventh day of the week. Now, it might have taken some time for that news to spread to faithful Jews that lived in other lands, but as the gospel was proclaimed, they would hear the good news that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And ever since then, Christians started gathering on that first day. Um, And often they gathered both in the morning and uh, in the evening, like we have here in the Gospel of John. On it, we meet with the Lord. We worship the Father through him. And on it, we hear words of peace, as these disciples heard words of peace from Jesus, that we commune with Jesus, even as they communed with him. And we're consecrated and equipped for his work, even as these disciples were consecrated and equipped for their work. What is the other aspect of the setting, though? It wasn't just the evening of that day. Where were they? They were in a place where they were gathered behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. There was danger surrounding them. Their Lord had just been executed. They could be targets, too. They were inside this house, and the door was locked. Fear still had a hold on them. They had heard reports of the resurrection at this point, 
uh, but they still were there. They had not yet the boldness that you would find later in the book of Acts. They were not yet the bold band of brothers who would appear proclaiming the gospel uh, clearly and plainly in Jerusalem. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied, as Paul would later argue in 1 Corinthians. This is our hope. Without it, Jesus is a fraud. Without it, our sins are not forgiven. Without it, we have no hope but in this life. And it's not surprising that they would sorrow to see their, their friend and their Lord killed and crucified and laid dead in a tomb. And would also not be surprising for them to be a bit fearful with all of that happening. But that is where Jesus finds them. With the resurrection of Christ, we have news of victory. Victory over the greatest enemies of the evil one and death. Can you think of enemies worse than these? The ancient, most ancient enemies of the human race. Uh, the, the evil one who tempted us and was a murderer and liar from the beginning. And the sentence of death, which we brought down upon ourselves. But these things were overcome by Christ, and that was made evident in his resurrection from the dead. So we have reason to hope and to be bold and to not give up. And so the setting, first day of the week, behind the locked doors. But then secondly, consider the sight. What did they see? They saw with their eyes. They handled with their hands. They, they saw the word of life as, as John begins his epistle. They saw someone, Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them. Now, how did Jesus get there? They're in the, the room and the doors are locked. Jesus then comes and stands among them. Well, there's been a lot of speculation about this and actually arguments going back to Reformed and Lutheran debates about the Lord's Supper, believe it or not, uh, that would go to this text. There's really much that it doesn't tell us. It doesn't really tell us how he got there. It just says that he was, that the doors were locked, they were shut for fear of the Jews, and then Jesus came and stood among them. Was the door miraculously opened? Did he miraculously pass through a door? The details aren't really important. The main point is that the locked door was not able to stop Jesus from coming in, and that Jesus came and stood among them. He wasn't apart from them. He showed up in their midst, and he showed them his body. It was a true physical body, the same one in which he had died, now risen and immortal. Jesus came among them and stood in their midst, and I think that the idea of among them or in their midst, uh, it reminds me of a psalm, Psalm 22, that Jesus had quoted on the cross that he alluded to when he said, go tell my brothers, because Psalm 22, after the deliverance from the dead, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And then the next line is, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. He's going to tell of God's name to his brothers. So he goes to his brothers. He appears to his brothers. And he appears in the midst of the church, that little church at that time, in the midst of the gathered disciples. Now, Jesus continues to be among his church today. Jesus ascended to heaven. His body is no longer here in front of us. But having ascended to the Father, he sent his spirit to be with us, 
that the, even the Father and the Son might also make their home among us. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In the context of, of prayer. Uh, in, in the context there in Matthew. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Later in the end of Matthew, how does he end Matthew? Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Jesus might have ascended bodily, but by his spirit, uh, he continues to dwell among us and in us, uh, that uh, we are united in him. He abides in us and we in him. Jesus stands among his congregation and he leads them now in worship. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise your name. Then what does he say to the disciples as he comes to stand among them? He says, peace be with you. He had left them peace in his, uh, what he had said before he died. He says, I leave you my peace. Well, that's his first words after rising. Peace be with you. That's how he greeted his brothers with good news. He didn't say, what were you thinking? He didn't berate them first of all, at least uh, here he, he, he greets them with good news peace. Even if they had fallen and in Peter's case had sinned, uh, that there was good news for Peter. We'll find a a special follow-up with Peter in particular in the next chapter. But he greeted them with peace. That is how we begin our worship service, right? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus had sent his disciples to go out. When you come to the house, greet the house and let your peace rest upon that house. Unless it's not worthy, and then let, you know, your peace comes back to you. But, but the message was one of peace. might be rejected, but the message is one of peace. Good news of Jesus Christ. Peace with God through his sacrifice. It pervades and sums up the gospel message. In fact, Jesus still proclaims peace. He still preaches peace. Do you know that Jesus is a preacher? Jesus proclaims now, because it's his word we're talking about, his message. By his word and spirit, he makes known the will of God for our salvation. He continues to exercise that office. In Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he said that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Did Jesus ever visit Ephesus? In his earthly ministry? Not that we know of. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. But Jesus preached peace to them when they heard Paul preaching to them. When they heard the message of Jesus, the call of the good shepherd of peace that they received by faith. Peace be with you. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Do you receive Jesus Christ? Then he showed them his hands and his side. This was the same Jesus who, is, who had been crucified, who had been pierced on the cross in the side so that blood and water poured out. The same one who had been buried in the grave. The same one now had risen from the dead. That same body, now risen immortal, was made known to them. Not a ghost, not a spirit, a flesh and blood human with a body now Restored from the dead and even beyond restored, immortal. Then, how did the disciples respond to this? They were glad. They were glad. They were happy. They were joyful. Look at this. Jesus is risen from the dead. 
Jesus had foretold this. He talked about how in some ways it'd be like, like a, a baby being born. That you forget all the sorrow and turmoil of the birth when, for the joy that a baby has been born into the world. Well, now the disciples would forget their sorrow and their grief and their fears and and rejoice to see this new life that would come into the world, the new creation begun, the resurrected Lord and Savior. The resurrection gives us many reasons to be glad. Jesus said that uh, when I come again and after this little while and, and show myself to you, you will have joy and no one will be able to take away this joy from you. In John 16, the resurrection of Jesus means that he is true. He is the Christ. He is who he said he was. He was declared to be the Son of God in power, that all authority has been given him, that he rose for our justification, that those sins that were laid upon him have been annihilated and done away with. Your sins are no longer there to be held against you. His righteousness that has been proclaimed in his resurrection is imputed to you. There are many good reasons. He rose to newness of life so that you might rise with him to newness of life, to walk now no longer in bondage to sin, but rather to be conformed to his image in righteousness. And so the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And we should be glad and rejoice to make this first day of the week a day of rejoicing as we remember the resurrection of Christ. There's a third part here. Remember the setting, the uh, sight, they saw him. What was the third S? The sending, the sending. Jesus sent these disciples out. First of all, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus sent out his disciples with a commission. This is John's version of the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission, we usually think of Matthew, which was on a different occasion when he was in Galilee with his disciples. And he says, you know, uh, go make disciples of, of all the nations. But here he has a different version of that commission given on this occasion. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He had already alluded to this in chapter 13 when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Notice the parallel here. How is it that he sends us, or his disciples, like the Father sent him? Well, the Father sent him, so the one who receives Jesus receives the Father. And the person who receives Christ's apostles, Christ's sent out ones, they receive Christ. Uh, he sent out these apostles to proclaim his word, his message. Uh, not a mere human message, but the message of Jesus Christ. And the way people treat his people is going to be, reflect on how they treat him. When, they mistreated, when Paul mistreated the church, Jesus took that personally. Why are you persecuting me? And so he sends them out. He commissions them. Christ's work continues on earth, and he uses his church to do so. Now, this applies most directly to the apostles. Those are the ones that were in front of him. They were sent out by Jesus in his stead to preach his message, and their spirit-inspired message was set down in Scripture. So the apostles continue to minister to us. We listen to them, and by listening to them, we listen to Jesus as we 
read his word, as we've been doing in the Gospel of John, for example. But by extension, this applies to the church that has followed the apostles, that are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The church carries on this mission as it is faithful to the word. We are sent out with this word, this faith delivered to the saints, that we might make it known to the world. Its members carry out this mission in various ways. Every member shares in this mission and bears Christ's name. We should receive every Christian in Christ's name and give them a cup of cold water or whatever they need. Even the least of these, my brothers, right? They've been sent out by him. Ministers have a particular office carrying on a ministry of the word and sacraments, baptizing and administering the Lord's Supper and preaching as ambassadors of Christ. But they're not the whole church. Paul would speak of how the whole church had a partnership in the gospel with him. What did he want to see the church doing? With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is the mission of the church. So we are sent out by Christ. And and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't simply just give them a task. That would be a big task. I'm sending you out there. Good luck. Is that all he says? Good luck? No. He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. He gives them and equips them for this task. Imagine if, if someone sent you to go out fishing, say, catch a bunch of fish for this evening's dinner, but then didn't give you a fishing rod, right? He just said, go, go try. Scrounge around with your hands, maybe. You, you wouldn't be equipped for the job. But the, the disciples, they don't go out unequipped. They go with the Holy Spirit, who will bring to mind all that Jesus has taught them, who will guide them, and who will even verify the apostles initially through miracles and signs and wonders. They receive the Holy Spirit. And this is still how the church is equipped today, by the Holy Spirit. Not in every way that the apostles were, but in a variety of ways, as a body that, is, uh, that has received the Holy Spirit. Jesus had already spoken of the Spirit, Uh, that he would flow out from Jesus like streams of living water, Uh, that he would send the helper who would come to them, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And now, because Jesus had been glorified, the Spirit was now being poured out. Now, this is probably distinguished from the further outpouring at Pentecost. We know that 50 days later, there was a pouring out of the Spirit upon all the disciples, and they spoke in foreign tongues, and Peter preached to the people assembled there. This one is probably most related to their understanding of Scripture. John had a couple times previous in this gospel said, Jesus said this, but we didn't quite understand it at the time. Now, writing the gospel, we understand he was referring to this text, that Scripture all along had prophesied these things. Well, now as the Spirit came upon them, they would be equipped to preach the gospel, to remember everything Jesus taught, and to understand the Old Testament. That's what Luke tells Jesus doing uh, on this occasion, to show from the law and the prophets and the Psalms how all of these things had to take place. And so he gives them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to work among our church so that we can understand Scripture, so that we can understand the things freely given to us by the Holy Spirit in Scripture.
And then, this is the last part. Last part. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Does this mean the apostles could be like, oh, you're going to be forgiven, but nope, sorry, you're not going to be forgiven. Just arbitrarily pick who's going to be forgiven and who's not? No, no, that's, that's not what Jesus had mind in, in mind here. It doesn't even have in mind what uh, the Roman Catholic Church might practice with, with the sacrament of, of penance and absolution, uh, but rather it refers to the ministry of the gospel. It refers to the forgiveness that we have in Christ on the same terms that Jesus had taught them that forgiveness was to be obtained. But now as his ambassadors, now as his ministers, they were to pronounce and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we find in the other Gospels too. That they had these keys of the kingdom, opening the kingdom to those who received Christ with repentance and to close it against those who rejected Christ, that they would remain under condemnation. We find this earlier in John chapter 3, verse 18, where Jesus said, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This type of pronouncement uh, would be the gospel. The, the intent is forgiveness. The gospel is given so that men might be forgiven. But in rejecting it, uh, men are condemned, are already condemned. And they need faith in Jesus Christ to have eternal life. So this first and foremost applies to the ministry of the gospel. It also applies to church censures. Um, the same type of terminology shows up in Matthew as it's talking about church discipline, of opening and closing the kingdom of heaven as an exercise of church discipline to those who refuse to listen to the church and continue in their, uh, in their sin and do not repent that there are uh, exercise of church discipline. And then, of course, hopefully that's lifted as they do repent. Uh, but uh, there's both that and then the ministry of the gospel. You can be forgiven even without individually confessing your sins to a minister. You Go to Christ, and you confess your sins to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. John wrote that too in 1 John chapter 1. And so they're sent out with the ministry of reconciliation, with the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name, that all who believe in him might be forgiven and have passed from death into life. And this is still the ministry of the word of God. Uh, a proclamation of forgiveness unto all who believe and repent, as well as a reminder of the wrath of God that remains upon the world if they do not. So in conclusion, Christ has risen from the dead. He, death no longer has any power over him. Uh, he has vanquished it. He has then commissioned and empowered his church with the gospel and the Spirit, His Gospel, His Spirit, uh, to make this known now to all the earth. He has a work going on in the, ch- in the world to this day. And the church is not idle. We're not simply the people who've been collected by His Word, but we also now have a part being sent out by the Lord to extend His kingdom, to make known His Word. So let us take courage and let us be glad 
For Christ is risen, and Christ has sent his Spirit. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your message of salvation, which we have received from the apostles, uh, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we might be brought to him and, and therefore to you, having heard this message of forgiveness and having received of this same Holy Spirit. We pray that you would work in us, that you would make known the salvation to the ends of the earth, that you would encourage us that we might have this joy and that none may take it from us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.